Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Corners Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler, uh, doing a live mailbag pot today. Uh, I It's taken me a little while to get around to these questions. I totally apologize. I recorded this the first time. And my, uh, um, what was I going to say? My, uh, it, it totally messed up on my end. Did not come through right. So I'm getting to these late, but I promise I'm going to answer all of them. Um, but so thank you to everyone who sent questions. And of course, if you haven't already, be sure to go rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, or if anything, just send me any questions, comments, feedback. Um, I really want to try and ramp up the podcast and do more with it or, um, I mean, I guess I do a lot with it already, but I mean, anything that you think I can do better, I want to know because I, I, I like making this good for you guys. I love doing this. So uh, just let me know. And I hope you're having a good day. I'm excited to get started up with some of these questions. Um, so number one from Jay Rosales, what's the concern level on Indiana's brutal schedule leading into the trade deadline? Um, I don't want to say I'm concerned. I think I'd be uh, more saying that I'm alert to it. Um, obviously the Pacers play a brutal March schedule that Tom and I laid out in a recent pod. Um, it's going to be a very, very rough stretch of basketball. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what I would predict the Pacers would come out of it as. I mean, I think if they were able to come out, um, like if, where they're at, if they, if they go 500 in March, um, that would be spectacular, but I don't even think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be really difficult for them to do that unless, uh, you know, I mean, maybe Karras is able to integrate really well and that works out. But at the same time, I think that's going to be very, very tough for them to do. They just play a ton of great teams. I think they play Miami three times in a week. Miami's been extremely hot over the last month or two. Um, they obviously play the Lakers in their first game back on Friday. They play a back-to-back. They play a game on Saturday. Um, they play, I think, four or five back-to-backs uh, just in the next month, which is a ton. Um, everything's a little bit messed up because, uh, I mean, the, uh, NCAA tournament's taking place in, in Indianapolis, so they really can't play during the week. Uh, so it's just kind of like messed up how they have everything, like where they're going to play, how they can actually play at home. So they go on road trips like every weekend currently, um, I, I think it's every weekend. I want to. I, I I might have it wrong, but it's either during the week or during the weekend. Regardless, they're taking road trips a ton. Um, it's going to be a very very difficult stretch for them. So I appreciate the question, Jay. Um, I guess the last thought that I would have on that is I'm more intrigued than concerned because I just want to see how they're going to handle it. I want to see how it impacts what they do with the rotation. Uh, maybe they start playing young guys more. Probably not, just based on everything we've seen, but. Um, I'm just interested to see what happens. I think that it, 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 there's a lot of variability that can come with it. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, so from Blake, uh, Blake Otain, uh, NBA, I've seen the firing stuff starting to brew on Twitter thoughts. I think it's ridiculous. He hasn't even coached 35 games. I uh, am writing a piece that should be out today. Um, and I'm taught, I, I, I talked about this in there, I, but basically the way to look at it. And I talked about this with Dave Searle on the pod yesterday, um, there is no grounds to fire Nate Bjorkman yet. Um, I know that things have been questionable and it's um, difficult to see 
what exactly, um, what exactly, you know, has been like great about Nate Bjorken. I think there have been positives. Like he's done, he's tweaked a lot offensively. He's been willing to try new things defensively. We can talk about the results with that, but um, I think the fact that there is a new process and they're, they're trying things, it's, you have to take everything with a grain of salt, A, because the, we, the year is so weird. It is for every team, but especially for this Pacers team. Um, I think they were really banking on consistency heading in. I don't think that they believed they were going to trade Vic that early on. I think that they were planning to trade Vic, you know, like just because it was clear that a deal wasn't going to be signed. Um, so, you know, I think that definitely factors into it. But, uh, no, it's just been thir- – like you mentioned, Blake, it's been 35 games. There's nothing there to say, okay, well, he should be gone. Um, you need more to – really have any kind of basis on like, okay, well, what is he doing well? What is he not doing well? Like you can see that stuff, but again, it's 35 games. Uh, so I appreciate the question. Um, another one from Blake, actually. What changed with the team? Best record in the NBA to a non-playoff team as of now. Uh, again, I hit on this in the article. It's a big, uh, big piece on the entire, you know, kind of state of where the team's at. Not to keep hyping it up, but I, I'll have a lot of more in-depth answers in there, but um, essentially I would just say, I mean, trading Victor Oladipo, uh, you go from having Victor Oladipo who was playing borderline also level, most importantly, I mean, his defense was fantastic, especially in Indiana. It's been good in Houston too, but, uh, he was playing fairly well offensively. He was fitting into the flow of the offense. Uh, he was playing as like a third guy, but more importantly, he drew the defense a lot. Um, so like his gravity and ability to, he was a threat to get to the rim to hit a pull-up or a shoot from three uh, or create a play for someone else. And while it wasn't always there, it wasn't the most consistent, defense is treating him like he was. And that's important because they don't treat Justin Holiday or Doug McDermott like that. And that's not to say that, they aren't bad, that they're bad players. They're fantastic players. They're one, some of the best role players in the NBA. But Justin Holiday is not somebody who you're worried about getting to the rim. Like, even if he does get to the rim, he's a solid finisher. But, like, you're not really worried about him making a pass out to the corner or some kind of skip pass back out. Like it's a, a lot of it is just the playmaking derived from what a guy can do as an, as an individual scorer. You know, I think um, unless you're an elite, elite play finisher, teams aren't as worried about, you know, trying to prevent a guy from getting an opportunity unless they're a really good playmaker um, or an elite scorer. Um, And same thing with Doug McDermott. Like Doug is really good. Doug's been fantastic into the rim. He's, um, I mean, his gravity from three actually hasn't been the same this year. I think teams have guarded him. Uh, they, they're more content laying off him now as the scouting report has picked up, you know, that he has not shot well. Um, but it's just, it, it just comes down to that. Like, Doug is not an in-between-the-arc guy. Like, I mean, from the – he's great uh, at the rim. He's great from uh, – I mean, he was – he's normally treated like he's great at the, free, at the three-point line because he has been. But uh, he doesn't have, like, an awesome mid-range game. He's, like, worked in a few things, but he doesn't really take a lot of shots from there. He's cut out most of those. Um, so he's just not a threat to score from every area of the floor um, or to be a great playmaker for someone else. So I think that would be a huge part of it. You just you go from having a top 40, 50 player on the year, at least when he was in Indiana, to, uh, you know, just having to completely – lose a player on your roster because Karis, I mean, obviously, luckily he's okay now, but uh, Karis was out obviously with, um, with injury and 
I mean, not injury with, with cancer and luckily he's okay now, but um, that's just a big gap talent wise to, to try and uh, replace with a, a bench player. Um, so I think we're just seeing the fruits of that on both ends of the ball. Uh, so thank you for that question, Blake. Um, another question from Jam Hines. What player has improved the most on a single skill so far this year? I'm going to take this in terms of just the Pacers first, and then I'll answer at large for the NBA. For the Pacers, uh, I think that I would say Miles Turner just for his overall feel, which I guess isn't necessarily a skill. It's just kind of a, an innate thing. Um, but regardless, I mean, that's been so important for what he's done offensively. He's be- looked like a competent offensive player this year, which he's struggled to at times. Like, um, it's the consistency that's really been there for him this year. And I think that's been huge for him uh, and huge for the offense as well. I mean, he's not hitting threes well. He did actually the last couple games. But uh, he, uh, regardless, I mean, the, the ability to drive to the rim, his handle's been better. He's okay making, like, you can trust him to pass now. Like, I, he's been a very, very not great passer the last couple of years. I mean, his entire time in the NBA, to be frank. Um, but what he's done just in terms of becoming better at the rim and being more aggressive and getting to the rim, he's just been more aggressive on the glass in general. Um, even though he's not a great rebounder, he's really good at boxing guys out defensively. Uh, the guards just have trouble getting those rebounds. Um, so I think I would say Miles Turner. In terms of the NBA, for most improved skill so far this year, hmm, I really liked Kyle Anderson. Like Kyle Anderson went from a a, a two motion three point shot to a one motion, and it's been really it's paid off dividends for him. He's shooting like thirty eight percent from three this year, after like being pretty rough on higher volume last year. Um, I mean, he's just always had a slow release, partially because it took him a lot of time to go through his first and then second motion. But now they just cut that down. It's getting off faster. He's taking more. He just looks more comfortable out there. So I really like that. Um, number one skill. I'm trying to think. There are a lot of guys. I mean, there's been so many improvements. Like Julius Randle. I don't know if it's necessarily like an, an entire skill, but he's just been a. He's always been a good passer, but I think he's been a lot better at utilizing his own gravity to get guys open. Um, so instead of like, I mean, we would see him kind of black hole on offense, and I don't know if that was necessarily his fault or like, of course, it's his decision. But like, he's never been on teams where like they don't really ask him to do that. Um, I think on this next team, it's been a perfect blend of him realizing, Hey, I can really help my teammates. And also the team's good enough. Like when he was in new Orleans, he was like fine there. Like he was actually pretty good in new Orleans, but like, I mean, he was a six man for them. They, they needed him to come in and score. They really did not have anyone else on the bench. Uh, so that made sense in his role. But like, I think that's been a huge improvement. Um, I mean, Denver actually, okay. This is probably the most, most biggest skill. Nikola Jokic's individual scoring, he's always had the ability to score. Um, but what he's doing now is ridiculous. I mean, he's um, he's pretty close to MVP for me. I think Joel Embiid's probably number one overall. But what Jokic does as an individual scorer this year, after you know, barely being a 20-point-per-game guy, you know, the last couple of years, scoring 27 points per game on just ridiculous, uh, ridiculous efficiency right now. Uh, I mean, he's... He's almost 50-40-90 as a center. Uh, like, he's shooting almost 42% from three, 56.5% from the field. 
88% from the line. He's just been a lot more aggressive in, you know, taking and making, well, I mean, of course, you know, the making helps, but just in, in taking shots, he's been a lot more aggressive. And um, it's been a little bit overlooked because of the Nuggets have, uh, they struggled out the gate a little bit and they've been better lately, but they're still relying a lot on him. Um, but he's just been fantastic. So I think he would probably be like, if I had to boil it down to one guy, I think he's the most improved skill wise, just in terms of like that. I'm going to score on you mentality has never been him. So it's, it's been cool to see that. I I've really enjoyed seeing that development in his game. I appreciate the question, man. Um, so next question from at above the break three, my guy, PD Webb, which rookie has your opinion of their developmental situation shifted most through 30 games? So I am actually going to cheat on this one and not bring up a rookie. But I'm going to bring up a second year player uh, because I've been watching this rookie a lot. I've been watching Anthony Edwards a ton this year. I really enjoy watching Minnesota, even though they're not good. I like the guys that they have there. I don't think that they're a good team or really have the makings of being a good team. I just find a lot of their players fascinating and fun to watch. Like Jared Vanderbilt is basketball joy as far as I'm concerned. But my point is uh, with Anthony Edwards' emergence and the way that their roster is shaping up, I don't understand what Jarrett Culver's place is on there. I already view him as a second draft guy. Um, he had a really rough rookie year last year, obviously. Part of it was, I don't think the context was good for him at all. He was a project coming out of Texas Tech, which any guy who's getting drafted is quote unquote a project. But like, in terms of his skill, like, you would know this better than me, PD. Like, in terms of his actual skills and stuff, like, he was a really good athlete who was asked to do a lot of facilitation for Texas Tech because their offense was pretty, like, blah. Um, and he had the raw tools to really grow into something. He still does. Don't get me wrong, but like, I think bringing him onto a team like Minnesota that's just in constant upheaval really does not have good complementary talent for him. They had no shooting last year, and for a guy who is pretty much a non-shooter in Jared Culver, like he took threes, but he's not a good three-point shooter yet. He's not a good free throw shooter. He's a terrible free throw shooter. Um, it was just a really bad context for him. I didn't like it for him, um, and now he just seems like the odd man out in Minnesota. Uh, he hasn't even started this year after starting most of the last year. And that's not everything, but like his minutes have decreased. He's not getting the same opportunities he did last year. And he just doesn't seem confident right now. And uh, I really hope that uh, he's able to go to a good organization and, and soon like on his rookie deal, get to a good organization because I, I don't want him to just become some forgotten guy. Like I really do think there's something there with him. I think he's going to be a really good defensive player. He already shows flashes. Um, he's only 21 years old, man. Like, I mean, he's 22 now. He just turned 22 recently. But regardless, like, he's a good prospect, uh, but not in Minnesota. I just don't think that it's going to work for him in Minnesota. And a lot of that is on Minnesota themselves. I'm sure people will say, oh, well, Jarrett Culver just didn't work hard enough. Or Jarrett Culver didn't do this. Jarrett Culver didn't do that. But so often with guys who fail in the NBA or struggle, to 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 find footing it's because the organization failed them uh, and i wish that we would talk about that more often because i think a lot of times when we're looking at issues with the roster issues with an individual player um yeah a lot can be boiled down to maybe um maybe something the player is or isn't doing but so often i just struggle to see how it doesn't come down on the uh 
on the executives because it should more, uh, frankly, because they're the ones who are supposed to have the long-term view of things. Um, and I think that they really have just put Jared Culver in a terrible position. So I hope to see him in a different spot soon because it's been, uh, it's been really frustrating. Um, so I like, I'm, I mean, I'm not a huge draft guy, but I, I, I watched a decent amount of Jared Culver when he was at Texas tech and, uh, I, I wasn't thrilled about him going to Minnesota because I thought it was going to be a bad spot for him. I didn't think it was going to be this bad. Um, so, yes, that would be my answer. If I had to really cop out and say, which uh, just on a rookie, like I've really liked, uh, I mean, for James Wiseman, I think I, I initially had like questions coming in, like, what is this? Like, what is he actually going to do for Golden State? Is he going to be good for them? He's not been great, but like, I think in terms of seeing like, okay, well, he's a guy who can play 20 minutes a game now and just give them a look with somebody who's seven feet tall and can do some things. Um, I still don't, he's, I mean, he's obviously really raw. Uh, I know you had a, a lot of thoughts on him. Not, not that like you were negative on him, which is why I like talking to PD web. If you guys don't follow PD web, by the way, you guys should, he's probably the best draft guy out there as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I don't know. I'd say like I feel more comfortable about Wiseman moving forward. Like not that I think he's going to be some crazy high end talent, but like he actually kind of makes sense for Golden State in a way. Uh, but he has a lot to work on. But I also like like he's like that's where I mean it's easy to say that you want Jarrett Culver to go to Golden State because that would be a good good context for him. But like James Wiseman gets to learn from Draymond Green and be around good vets and a a good coaching staff that's cohesive and you know is going to be there for a while. Um, like in Minnesota, Jarrett Culver is around. Uh, unfortunately, I mean Ryan Saunders seemed like a great guy. Uh, clearly, the coaching was the, the coaching ability was not there. Or at least he was not ready to be a head coach, and um, it was just kind of a a train wreck in Minnesota. So I would say Wiseman probably has changed up for me a little bit. Um, so thank you for that question. Uh, on to the next one from my guy at Big Blackenstein uh, Smith on Twitter, um, one of my favorites. Uh, Thank you for always engaging and sending in some good stuff. I know you listen to all the smoke, so I'll steal one of their questions. Who was this year's most underrated slash underappreciated player in the, in the league? You can't say Drew or Thad, so I'll make it a bit tougher. Uh, to people who don't understand the reference, uh, Drew Holiday and Thad Young are two of my favorite players in the league and also two of the most underrated players in the league. I have harped very much so about Thad Young for like my entire existence because he's fantastic. He's been so good for the Bulls this year. Drew Holiday's been Awesome for Milwaukee as well. Um, so I will, of course, go in a different direction. Underrated, under-talked about players. Um, I'll bring up a couple. Number one, Terry Rozier uh, in Charlotte has just completely changed my mind on who he is as a player. Uh, it's been awesome seeing him in a good context. And, and when I, whenever I talk about context, I think that's important. Like, there are so many guys who get asked to be lead ball handlers, and they're not. They don't have the playmaking chops. And that's, like, that's Terry Rozier when he was in Boston. Like, he had a, a solid stretch, but... The efficiency was never there for him. He's never been a very good at-room finisher. Um, and it's just, uh, I think it's important to uh, to look at that. And I, it's just, I mean, he's, let's just pull up his numbers for you real quick in case you're not aware. Like, first of all, if you haven't watched Charlotte much this year, do it. They're a blast to watch play. But Terry Rozier is scoring 20.5 points per game on 49% from the field, 44% from three on almost eight a game and 82% from the line. And well, a lot of it's like, yeah, he's just asked to be a play fish, finisher, but like, that's good. Like he is finishing plays at a very high level. And that is 
awesome. Like he's been a huge part of why Charlotte's been good this year because you need people to score. I know I always have this debate with people like people like, well, all he does is score. He can't create for others and he's not creating his own shot. He's just getting it from someone else. I'm like, okay, well, he's scoring almost 21 points per game on above league average. I mean, way above league average, almost 63% true shooting. League average is 56% this year. Like that's really good. And that matters. I, I, I get it. Like he doesn't create a place for other. Maybe you can say that he doesn't pass a lot or something like that, which I would probably disagree with. Um, but that that's valuable. Being able to score at a high level is valuable. That's what I always talk about with like DeMar DeRozan and DeMar DeRozan has become a fantastic playmaker. He was a solid playmaker in Toronto, but he's really grown in San Antonio. Like, yes, you can say whatever you want about, okay, well, you, all he did was score at league average, but he scored 27 points per game at league average. Somebody has to be your leading scorer. And if they're doing it at league average, true shooting percentage or higher, that is a plus. I, I just don't know how else to explain that to people. Like I, I love Kyle Lowry. I think Kyle Lowry, like you could of course make the argument that he was like the best player for Toronto during those years. Um, I think that advanced stats would, would paint that picture. And, um, I personally don't love having this argument just because I think it's a little fruitless. Both guys were really important to what they were doing, but like you overall look at it and talk about it. And I think it's important to note: DeMar DeRozan is the guy who's getting to the line eight or nine times a game. DeMar DeRozan is the guy who's taking the tough shots and not that Kyle Lowry didn't, but somebody has to score. That's my point. Somebody has to be the leading scorer. And DeMar DeRozan was good at it for a really long time. And he still is. I mean, he's putting up 20 points per game now on, uh, really good efficiency, shooting threes a little bit more. He's getting to the line a ton still. Um, and his playmaking has been fantastic. So, like, I just think sometimes the pendulum swings too far on talking about guys who are just scorers, and maybe they don't provide much else. Like, Marta Rosen is not a good defender, I'll be honest. Like, I'm never going to lie about that. Um, but it's still just important to note. Like, he does a lot of positive things, whether um, whether you want to admit that or not. So, uh, I think – it's important to have guys who can score at a high level if you're winning. And I, he did score at a high level. Like, even if it's just league average for shooting percentage, that is good. Like, if you're talking about a guy who scores 10 points per game on league average for shooting percentage, maybe it's not as good because, I mean, you could argue, okay, well, maybe they could cut down on some of their shots or uh, take some of them differently so that it's a little bit more efficient. But, like, if you're a guy who has to take 18, 19, 20 shots a game and you're scoring that well, like, that matters. So, that's it for my rant on that, uh, and that's it on Terry Rozier. But next player I would bring up who is being underappreciated, under-talked about, um, Kyle Kuzma. I No, please don't hate me for saying this. Kyle Kuzma was like a total meme last year uh, until the playoffs, and he's been really good this year. I know he's not like anything ridiculous, but he's become a legit plus defender. I've enjoyed watching him. It's been cool seeing that growth. I hate whenever he's on Twitter, frankly, because he, yeah, it, you know, Kyle Kuzma does his thing on Twitter. Uh, you do you, um, but not my cup of tea, but just in terms of being a player and he, and he seems like a good guy to be fair. Like, it's just, I, I don't really agree with a lot of the stuff that he puts on Twitter, but um, point being, he's become a really solid role player for the Lakers. And a, I'd almost argue an irreplaceable role player, unless like something big came along, but um, he just gives them a lot more versatility. He's been good offensively. Um, but the biggest thing is just defensively, he's sold out to really become quality there. He, he's showing weak side rim protection. Um, he's been a good off ball defender. He's doing solid stuff at the point of attack. Like 
that's huge for him for a guy who was a minus as a defender uh, for, for most of the beginning of his career. Um, that's been huge for them. So I've really enjoyed watching his game. Uh, and I'm interested to see what he does um, moving forward too. Cause he's the only guy other than LeBron who has played in every single game. And actually I think LeBron might've missed the game. So he might've missed the game too. Montrez is actually the only guy who's played every game. So I did not realize that, but uh, right around there, but yeah, Kyle Kuzma, he's also noted uh, shooting like 36 and percent from three, which is just about league average uh, on five attempts per game. Like, that's he's, he's doing valuable things for the Lakers. He's not taking anything away from them. And I think that's important. Uh, so I really like that. And I think, again, a guy who the pendulum swung too far on in some ways. Uh, I would talk about Phoenix, too, for a sec. Dario Sharch has been awesome. Uh, he really struggled most of last year finding a role with them until the bubble. And now he is their backup center. And he's been just really good and funky and does, like, a lot of good things. Like, he's a good passer. And he can do some good stuff in the post. He'll attack mismatches. He's shot well from outside this year. Like, he just is kind of a mismatch nightmare. Perfect bench big. Um, and it's been fun to see him cook for, for Phoenix. Um, who else? I'm trying to think. Um, I would just say the Memphis Grizzlies in general. Like, John Marankis headlines, he's been good this year. But, like, they have, like, every single player on their team is a competent player. Like, I think they are probably the deepest team uh, when you go down the entire roster. Like, I think every single guy on the roster could get minutes on another team. They're that deep. And I've, I'm really high on where they're going moving forward. And we haven't even seen Jaron Jackson Jr. back. I'm excited for that. Um, who else would I talk about? I think I'd maybe throw out one more name. But I'm not sure who. Um uh, I don't really have another name that I could throw. I'd have to dig more for it. But regardless, I appreciate the question, man. Hopefully that, that shorted up for you a little bit. Um, I'll definitely think more on this. I might write an article about it. But, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I appreciate the question as always, man. Um, so on to the next one. Um, from my guy, Shravan Panala. What is actually wrong with the Hawks? Well, the new head coach saw the issue. I used to like Trey Young, not anymore. And many people have the same thought. What happened? This is a good question. Um, I get where you're coming from on not liking Trey Young. Um, like, he's kind of a grifter. But I say that in, in a good way. Like, if I was in the NBA and I had an opportunity to get free throws and it was in the rule book and I knew I wasn't going to be – it wasn't going to be enforced against me, I'm going to do it. Um like, I, I have no issue with that. I have an issue with the fact that it's possible due to how the game is officiated and the way that the rules are written. I think if you want to see that changed, it's got to come from the rule book and, and how the game is officiated, and it has to be a league mandate. Because as long as there's ability for that kind of, like, I just call it foul grifting, as long as there's an ability for that to happen, um, I mean, players are going to take advantage of it, and they should. Free points is... A good way to good way to win, man. Um, I don't really think it's anything against Trey. I just think like he does do some things on court that can be like uh, kind of pestery and annoying, and I think you see that like it's just smaller players for whatever reason get that kind of um, notion. I guess I don't really know why, um, and I get it. Like he can like he he does argue for foul calls a lot, but like if you look at the Pacers, like. Some of the guys argue for foul calls a lot, you know, um, 
Like I've noticed that a ton. There's a lot of times where they think they get fouled at the rim and maybe they have a case, but then they're terrible getting back in transition because they're, they're arguing about the foul call. And again, a lot of that I think is more on officiating it than the players themselves. And I think officiating could be a lot better or, or more, I think I would say better defined. Like the rules could be a lot better defined so that there's less gray area and that would make it easier. But that's just my opinion on that. Um, and then what's wrong with the Hawks? I don't really think there's that much wrong with them, to be completely honest. Like I didn't talk about this with Brad Roland from Locked on Hawks the other day on uh, on the Premium Moves podcast. I, uh, you know, I don't really think that I expected them to do too much better than they are right now. Like I thought that they would be like, in the mix for like the six to eight seed, or maybe they'd be a playing team. Um, and they've been right around there. They're 16 and 20. They're two games back of being in the six seed. Like they've dealt with a ton of injuries this year. Cam Reddish has struggled, which I think has been part of it too. But I mean, DeAndre Hunter took a massive step. Clint Capella's looked really good. They've just struggled with injury. Um, you know, Danilo Gallinari hasn't played as much. Bogdan Bogdanovich has been out for most of the year. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say, like, they're right about where I expect, and I think that they'll be better in the coming weeks. Uh, and I think maybe Nolan will help with that because he's good at um, getting the most out of his roster, especially on, on a team that hasn't made the playoffs yet or is looking to make the, the playoffs. Um, so we'll see on that. But overall, yeah, I don't really think there's anything wrong with the Hawks. I would like to see them get Trey Young off ball more, but then again, he's so good on the ball. Um, but regardless, that would be something I'd like to see that you have a lot of guys who could maybe do some secondary playmaking and like a Kevin Herter, who's more of like a tertiary playmaker, but you could get him some run there. Uh, I really did not like the Rondo signing. I did not like the Gallinari signing and those have both kind of not worked out super well. Um, but regardless, like Chris Dunn, I think is supposed to be back soon. He's not really an awesome playmaker, but he just gives them another guy who can handle the ball, make some simple reads and he'll be better for them defensively on the perimeter too. Like, He'll probably be their best point of attack defender. I mean, he was all defense for me last year just about, um, even though he missed a decent part of the year as well. Um, but, yeah, that's what I would say uh, about the Hawks. I appreciate the questions, Ravon. Um, so I got a couple more questions on this. So from Anthony Childress, another one, how do you think Coach McMillan will do coaching the Hawks? I think he's going to do well for them. Like, I uh, – I don't know how much he's going to change things offensively or defensively. Um, you know, I'm writing about this in regards to the Pacers. Like, can they really make some schematic changes over the all-star break? And should they? Like, um, maybe. But, like, they're not really practicing together. Domas was gone for most of the all-star break. They don't – I mean, guys are going out and doing their own thing and just being with their families. They're not practicing. Like, without practice, you don't really have the opportunity to, to add all these new wrinkles in. So I'm not sure. But regardless, like, I think he'll be good for them. Um, I think just based on the fact that all the reporting has come out, Lloyd Pierce was was not uh, working out for them uh, behind the scenes. And that's unfortunate. I really do think he kind of got the shaft in a lot of ways. And I didn't like how things played out with that. Um, I don't know what else I can even add to that. I just think, like, I, I'm hopeful for Nate because he's a really good guy. Um, and he's a good coach. He's so much better than I think people give him credit for. Um, and I get that there are deficiencies in, in what he does, but overall, I think he's going to do what they need. Like they need some more, um, they need that guy who can 
really get them set in their ways of doing things and becoming like really structured and disciplined in what they're doing because that kind of consistency is what they need moving forward. Like the, the Hawks have flashed being a really good team. They've also flashed looking like a pretty bad team at points this year. So having like, I mean, one thing you can talk about with the Pacers from the last couple of years is that they were always consistent, like 90, 90 to 95% of the time, which is a pretty good measure for an NBA team. Like they were coming out and playing uh, well. And I think that counts for a lot. So I think Nate McMillan is going to be able to do quite a bit of that uh, for the Hawks, but but we'll see on that. Regardless, they've had a good post uh, post coach hiring bump. I think he's four and one for them. And again, part of that small sample size, but the Hawks have looked good. I think that he'll do a good job for them. I don't know if he's going to end up as a full time head coach afterwards, um, but we'll see on that. Um, so next question from Rhett Bauer. Uh, friend of the friend of mine, obviously, and friend of the program. Um, with McConnell, McDermott on the last year of their deals, and Warren slash Aaron Holiday up for extension or free agency after next year, how big of a part do you think finances will play in the KP's trade deadline and offseason priorities? This is something else I'm writing about, so I don't want to go too in-depth with it, but I think it should play a big part. Um, I talked about this before the year. Um, you know, it's going to be very difficult uh, or not difficult, but I would say this year is pivotal for what the Pacers are doing as a franchise. Uh, we came into the year thinking Victor Oladipo probably wasn't going to be with the team past the trade deadline. We knew TJ Warren has the extension coming up. Um, I didn't think McConnell was going to be this big a part of the team moving forward, but I definitely thought about McDermott. And what's crazy with McDermott is that, I mean, he could very well get close to what Joe Harris got last year. And I know that sounds crazy to think about in the moment, but if you look at their production over the last couple of years, like uh, Doug's improved his ability at getting to the rim. He's uh, improved uh, just in a lot of facets. He's still, I think Joe Harris is probably a better defender. Um, so, you know, you could say that he's going to be on the court. Uh, he's able to stay on the court a little bit better than, uh, than Doug might in a playoff setting. But overall, I mean, Doug could be pretty close to getting that kind of money that, that Joe Harris got. So, um, it's going to be very tough for the Pacers to keep him around in Indiana. Uh, and if they do, it, it brings up a lot of questions of what's going to happen with TJ Warren or Aaron Holiday uh, in the next year. But uh, no, that's a great question. I think it will definitely play into the trade deadline and offseason priorities. Uh, we just have to wait and see. Um, so from Alex Golden, uh, if the solo miles minutes have been as good as the numbers show, why isn't Bjorkman playing him as a solo five more, especially with how desperate this team is for a win? Uh, I mean, I think that one's pretty simple just because you need Domas's playmaking on the court right now with how much the team is uh, lacking in playmaking. Like the solo miles minutes have been good, but at the same time, I just don't think that they're quite in a place to uh, um, just fully rely on that. And I would like to see more solo miles minutes to be completely fair. Um I think he's been really good there. Obviously, like you mentioned, the numbers are fantastic. They're in like the top 10 percentile in all lineups and defense. The net rating is fantastic. The offense has been solid too. Um, and Miles just looked competent and confident as a solo center. And I think you could argue too, it's almost better for him to be in a solo center lineup, depending on uh, some of the guys around him, as long as Jeremy Lamb isn't at the four. Uh, as long as Jeremy Lamb's never at the four for any center. Um, but yeah, I would say... Uh, there could, there's room for it. I would like to see maybe two or three more minutes a game of it, shave some of Domas's minutes off. Um, 
but we'll see what happens with that. I'm uh, not really confident that's going to happen given how the first half of the season has gone, but, but we'll see on that. Um, from at Daniel Ollinger, favorite slash least favorite special edition jerseys from this season? Um, that is a great question. I think my least favorite is definitely Miami's. Uh, it's Miami's special edition jerseys, atrocious. It looks like, I don't know if you ever had Gogurt growing up as a kid. That's what it looks like. That or like a fruit by the foot unraveled is what their jersey looks like. And it's, uh, it's jarring. I like personally do not like watching their games when they wear those just because, um, it like hurts my eyes a little bit. And it's hard to actually, uh, like pay attention to the game with how that contrasts with what they look like on court. And I'm not a fan. So uh, I would definitely get rid of those jerseys if I were Miami. I used to love the Vice jerseys when they first started up because they actually looked like Miami Vice. And now they're just kind of uh, a little bit over the top, overdone, classic Nike, just going way too hard and uh, way outdoing themselves from a little bit of a cash grab. Um, I wish that they would just stick with the OGs. Uh, I don't get funded by Nike, so I don't care if they hear this. They won't, but it's fine. Um, my favorite special edition jersey, though, I really like Portland's, man. Like, call me crazy. It's a brown jersey, but, like, it's kind of good. I like Portland's. Um, I obviously like Indiana's. I mean, the the pinstripes are back, and it's kind of a, mis- a, a mixed match of – like some of the like the old Flojo jerseys, at least the color, with the the pinstripes of when I was a, well, I was a really young kid when the pinstripes were still around. But um, I like the pinstripes a lot, so it's been cool to see that. I also like Brooklyn's. Brooklyn's has really grown on me. I remember kind of uh, not liking them at first uh, before I saw them on court, but on the Brooklyn court, those jerseys look crisp. Um, I actually really like the font now; it's kind of grown on me. Um, I am, like, iffy on Philadelphia's jerseys. Like, sometimes I like them, sometimes I don't. Um, I don't know who else I would add here, but there's, like, there's good stuff to it. But it's not my uh, – I, I just prefer, like – I would like to see, like, just teams have, like, one or two jerseys that they wear all the time that are really good instead of having, you know, some of the kind of annoying jerseys that we have to see. Um, so – that's what I would say. I know that's kind of a cop-out again, but that's where I would go with it. Um, gosh, what else? Um, so thank you for that question, Daniel. I really appreciate you asking. Um, last – oh, no, not last. I have a couple more questions still. If and when the lineup is fully healthy, who are the odd guys out of the lineup, and do they have any trade value? And that's from Derek Gibson. Um, so, again, I'm getting into this in a trade piece, but I think – or not trade piece, just piece in general – um, Aaron holiday is definitely up there, uh, which is kind of not what I was expecting at the beginning of the year. Um, because Edmund Sumner has taken his minutes and he's deserved it. Edmund Sumner has been tremendous this year. Um, but at the same time, it's a very awkward position because I think Aaron could still be getting more minutes. Like I think they could do a better job of distributing minutes all around. Um, but I mean, just looking at the rotation, who else would be, out of the rotation. I mean, like Goga. I mean, Goga is just not even getting that much playing time already. He's not going to get much um, when the team – I mean, he probably won't even be in the rotation when the team is fully healthy, which is concerning because he was a first-round pick. Um, I don't know what his trade value would be. I mean, he's shown flashes this year. 
after really not doing super well last year, but I still don't know what his trade value would be because he just hasn't played a lot. Like he's too good to play in the G League. Dominant in the G League. Um and he just needs NBA playing time, but he's not getting it consistently, which has been problematic. So I don't know what his trade value is because how do you how do like how how do teams assess that if they don't get to see him play routinely? So I have no idea. Uh, but I, I would say just to answer your question, it's Goga and Aaron Holiday. Um, so thanks for the question, Derek. Another question from my guy Div over at Stat Center. Best bench unit among likely playoff teams and worst bench unit. Best bench unit is probably the Phoenix Suns. That bench unit is freaking awesome. Uh, they have great cohesion. They have a really deep bench. Um, and they've just been fun to watch. But they uh, they do a lot of good stuff. Like their bench kind of, I don't want to say it carried them early in the year, but like their bench lineups were better than their starting lineup to start the year. And I think some of them still are. It's been right around there. But they are really good. The Memphis Grizzlies bench, fantastic. Um, like like I talked about their depth. Like they run a lineup that's like Tyus. Like well, they mix and match a bunch of guys like Tyus Jones, uh, Dylan Brooks, who is uh, – I mean, he is a starter, but like he, he plays with bench sometimes. Like Desmond Bain is fantastic. Anthony Melton is amazing. Um, who else? Uh, Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, Justin Winslow is back now. Like – they're one of the few teams that can run an all bench player lineup. And I'm like, okay, they're going to hold their own and maybe do even a little bit better. And that's shown uh, they're 16 and 16 right now. They've had a pretty funky year with that giant gap of time off. But um, I mean, the Grizzlies are good and their bench is a big reason for why. Um, who else? Um, I mean, Utah's bench unit has been solid, but a lot of it is how they allocate their minutes. Like, Conley and Gobert coming out of the game kind of early, and then they run the bench unit. But then also you could say, I mean, Mitchell's running the bench unit with favors, and um, when uh, when Joe Ingles comes off the bench too. So it just kind of depends how you look at it. But I, I still think that I would probably say, uh, yeah, Memphis, Memphis or Phoenix is right up there for me. And Chicago too. I just like completely blanked on that. Chicago's bench line was awesome. Like, Thad Young, Garrett Temple, Tomas Sadoransky, um, Denzel Valentine's actually played pretty well this year too. Um, I'm trying to think who that fourth guy off the bench is. Um, it just kind of depends. Like Patrick Williams will play off the bench sometimes. Like, uh, I mean, Patrick Williams starts, but he'll play with the bench lineup. Um, Otto Porter hasn't played that much this year, but regardless, that bench lineup for them is awesome. They just have a lot of really heady veteran players who do quality things. And I've already harped about Thad Young enough. Um, but yes, that would, those would be my three. Um, next question. Well, thank you for that question, Div. I appreciate it. Um, actually, is that the last question? I'm trying to see. I might have one more. Um, no, that is all for questions. I, uh, I really appreciate you guys, uh, sending in, all these questions and I apologize. It took me a minute to get to them. It has been a busy time recently, but uh, no, things have been, things have been good. I have that, that article coming out tomorrow is going to be, well, it'll be out today. Actually. It's very in depth, has a lot of stuff on uh, the entire state of where the team is at right now. Um, I bring up a lot of questions because we really don't have answers right now. Um, 
but it's just a lot of things I've been thinking on, especially since the break. Um, so I hope that you enjoy it. I'm, I'm sure that uh, it will be worth reading. Um, I've put a lot of time into it, so uh, definitely let me know what you think. Um, I'd love to get your feedback on it and also hear just what you think in general. Um, I'm going to end my room a little bit early today now that we're done with questions and I have to get back to work, but I, I really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone who has been joining and, and sending in questions as well. Have a good rest of your day.